Hi, this is Erin James Brown. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. And I serve as the interim site pastor at Urban Village Church, Edgewater. Urban Village Church does bold, inclusive, and relevant ministry for people who were traumatized by church, people who feel overchurched, and even the non-churched folks. If you identify with any of these signifiers, we're so glad you're listening. Would you consider helping us continue this Jesus-loving ministry in and across Chicago and over the internet? You can make a generous recurring gift by going to our website, urbanvillagechurch.org backslash give. And thanks for helping us with your ears, actions, and dollars to build up God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And now, here's the latest sermon. Chapter 24, 36. 36 through 24. All righty, I got it. The necessity for watchfulness. But that day and hour no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. For as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in each, as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away. So too will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in the field, one will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together, one will be taken and one will be left. Keep awake, therefore, you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would have not let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. My name is Paul Ortiz. Uh, My pronouns are he, him. And it is wonderful to be with you once again. Um, For those of you who grew up maybe in more liturgical traditions of the church, you might know that this is the first Sunday of Advent. Now, Advent is the four Sundays leading up to Christmas. Advent each uh, week has a different theme. And the first week, which is this week, is hope. Advent, you'll hear over and over again, is about waiting. Now, waiting is kind of countercultural for us, at least for me. Um, if you, especially around the holidays, I feel like, if you're like me, um, my already busy schedule of being a grad student, being a partner, being a father, uh, working, has ramped up now with trying to figure out my holiday plans, my travels, my special events, uh, Christmas shopping lists. So it's a lot already to take, and then there's more stuff. Yet Advent suggests something kind of revolutionary. It suggests that maybe it's good to stop and to wait and to listen to God and ourselves. And maybe these, any pockets of free time are not something that we have to fill right away, right? In Advent, we are invited to wait for the birth of Christ, to wait for all the ways that Christ is still being born in our world today, and to wait for this kind of weird thing that our scripture today mentioned, to wait for what the church calls the second coming of Christ. Now, I grew up in a church tradition that was kind of obsessed with the second coming of Christ, so much so that it kind of scarred me, and even today I I hesitate a little bit to want to preach about it, Uh, even though I've deconstructed and reconstructed what that means. 
So um, again, but in my childhood mind, due to uh, my church's insistence on the second coming of Christ and a really bad uh, science fiction book series called Left Behind, I was convinced, I was convinced that I knew what the end of the world would look like and how exactly it would be when Jesus returned. Now, that's a lot for anyone to hold, let alone a six-year-old mind. But I, I had this um, clear expectations of what that would be like when Christ came back to our world. Now, um, I remember uh, particularly one night, I was around six years old, and um, I remember this, um, I heard this beeping woke me up at night. We had this microwave, maybe they were all like this back then, but it would continue to beep until somebody opened the door, like it wouldn't just stop. So it was beeping, it was calling me out of my sleep. It was the middle of the night, and I realized that I had to go to the restroom. So I, I climb out of my bed, and I open the door, and I realize that the television is also roaring. It's kind of confusing. So I go into the bathroom, and then I come out, and I'm like, I lived with my mom and my grandma back then. They raised me. I start calling out to them, like, you know, why aren't you turning off the microwave? I look for them. I couldn't find them. And it's the middle of the night, and I, I literally start freaking out, and I start crying, because I, at that moment, I realized that I was left behind. <laughs> <laughs> that, that Jesus had come back and taken away all of my loved ones and that now I would remain on earth to go through horrible tribulations without them and without God. That was my destiny. Of course, that did not um, end up that way. They happened to step out for some weird reason. I think there was something with the neighbors that they went to help with. And uh, it just so happened that I woke up at that moment. But I lived with this anxiety of what the return of Christ would look like as a child. I lived with not this hopeful uh, kind of waiting that we are invited into Advent, but rather with anxiety of like what it's, knowing what's going to happen, right? Rather than the expectancy of Advent, where there's this hope, this mystery that God, um, the Prince of Peace will come back to reconcile things, but we don't really know how that happens. I lived with a clear cut, these are the expectations, this is who's in and who's out. It's, again, it's just a lot for anyone to hold, let alone a child. In today's scripture reading, um, it is one of the proof texts that's often used for this idea of a rapture where people are taken away to heaven. Uh, just an FYI side, um, the the idea of a rapture wasn't invented until the 1800s by a man named John Nelson Darby. So it's kind of a new idea in some streams of the church. Um, but again, we do see an image of there's two men and one is taken away, right? Uh, or as it was read today, there's two women and one's taken away as with the coming of the Son of Man. Biblical uh, commentators point out that if we follow the natural progression of that scripture, it's talking about you know the, the Son of Man coming back to set things right, that it'll be like the flood in the time of Noah. It talks about people being swept away in God's judgment in the flood. And then the very next line is that there's someone who's taken away. So the idea isn't that they're taken away to heaven or something like that, but rather they're taken away in the sense, like when a king summons someone in order to take them to court for being corrupt, you know, they're, they're being accounted for, for their, they're being put, put on trial, it's, it's about judgment, like Jesus said, which is still kind of scary, but it's not the idea of being taken away to heaven, right, and some people being left behind. We have to remember also that this is, 
Jesus' kingdom, the kingdom of peace, Jesus' kingdom of love and reconciliation. Um, so if we think about it with other texts, it kind of looks more like when people are being broken up from fighting in order so they could reconcile again, right? This is separating, but it's for the purpose of God's kingdom coming to earth. If we were a more liturgical kind of high church setting, there would be multiple readings. And along with this one that was read today, the gospel, uh, an, a, a common um, Old Testament text that's read, and there it is on the screen, is this from Isaiah? I just want to read a little part of it because I think it goes really well in conversation. It also talks about judging and separating. But um, it says, He shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war no more. So again, there's this idea that when the Messiah comes, the Christ comes, returns, there'll be, it'll be an inauguration of peace, of reconciliation. It will be God's judgment, but to the end of reconciling. And that brings comfort, I think, not necessarily fear. <laughs> um, in our gospel today, it talks about how in the coming of the Son of Man, right, not even the angels know the time, right? Not even the heavenly forces could really grasp what this is. I find a strange comfort in that, that even angels are with us in this expectancy, this waiting, right? There is, you know, we are invited into this mystery of our faith, not necessarily a certainty of our faith. And now maybe you didn't grow up in a tradition that's, necessarily taught the rapture, but I think we all have that temptation, right, to want to know how things work out. Like, I don't want to wait on God. I don't want to live in a mystery. We all kind of want to know, how will our, our kids turn out? How will it be when I get that job? Will I get that job? And I think that tendency is so that we could kind of be in control. Yet realistically, we're not ever fully in control of our lives. It is uh, the Christian spiritual journey is a journey of faith, it's of trust, of not fully knowing. In Advent, each week we light a candle. This week the hope candle is lit. It's this slow kind of progression from darkness to light. Um, each week it gets a little more luminous. But yet, Advent really is an embracing of the darkness as well. It's embracing that we don't fully have everything figured out because we are not God. And that's kind of okay, honestly. Um, but yet, uh, I grew up with clear expectations of what the end would be like. And I think uh, there's a big difference between expectation on God and expectancy, Right? In Advent, we are invited to have expectancy that God will do something. God will be born into our world. God will bring justice and peace and end um, injustice. However, we can never fully know what that looks like. So we are called to live with expectancy of Advent rather than expectation. In our... Um, in the Gospels, we have different images of what waiting looks like. And while our culture tries to avoid waiting, or uh, whether it be with like these predictions of the end times where we don't want to wait to know what happens, 
or whether it be, uh, just think of a waiting room. Usually that is the most uh, kind of avoid at all costs, boring kind of places. But rather waiting, we are, we are invited to this holy waiting of the gospels where we, Jesus presents pictures of what that looks like. Jesus tells us, he points to the birds of the air and the flowers of the fields and say, look at them. They don't worry about what they eat or what they wear. Rather, they wait on God for those things. Jesus also talks about taking upon his yoke, his burden, for it is light. There's all these images of waiting with God, of, of basically like giving our, our anxiety away and embracing that, this mystery of with God, which I think we are invited in Advent. Another um, thing I wanted to mention with waiting, how it's different, this holy waiting is different from the anxiety kind of waiting of our world, is that waiting isn't time wasted. I think we often think of waiting as a life that's wasted, or you know, we have to fill it with something. If I have downtime, I jump on my phone often to see how many emails I could respond to. Yet when, when we continue to have this go, go, go mentality where we're always trying to get to the next thing, at least for me, I, not only do I not hear the voice of God, I, I don't even hear my own voice sometimes. And yet when I stop and I wait, I do hear God, but I also hear myself too. I hear why I'm actually doing these things. Are they good motives or am I just trying to prove somebody something? You know, I, I, when we wait, we're able just to be for a minute with ourselves. And so this Advent season, you are invited to that, to not think of waiting as wasted time, but rather as time with God and with yourself. Throughout scripture, waiting is actually where everything happens. Moses meets God and receives the Ten Commandments when he is waiting on Mount Sinai. The angel Gabriel appears to Mary when she is waiting to be married. And Jesus appears to the disciples when they're waiting in that locked room in the resurrection. He appears to them and breathes upon them the Holy Spirit. Waiting is where things happen. It is not a waste of time, no matter how much I may think that. Also in our culture, I think waiting is often perceived as something that we do alone. Again, just think of a waiting room, the way it's set up. It has magazines, you know, it has a TV screen. Um, and today we have our tablets and our phones, all kind of geared towards allowing us to just zone out in our individualistic selves. Yet waiting, at least in the gospel sense, in the Advent sense, is done always in community. Think of like, I mean, there are a lot of examples in scriptures. In the gospels, waiting is done, we could think of um, almost every scene of holy waiting is in groups, actually. The followers of Jesus at the foot of at the cross, they're waiting. The disciples who are in the locked room are waiting together. Even Mary, her waiting brings her to her cousin Elizabeth. Waiting uh, seems like a very lonely place to be, yet... It's meant to be together, and I think that's one of the reasons why we struggle so much with it. Uh, throughout my degree, I'm in my second degree program, and there has been times that I've wanted just to quit, to end the waiting, to end the unknown of what my life will look like on the other side. And it is in community again and again that people help remind me why I'm doing this. Um, it is, again, with a partner and with community that it kind of breaks up the waiting when I do one-on-ones or check in with people. 
It, it, it sends me back into the waiting it, it, with new eyes to see God in that time period. I think that is the kind of waiting we are called to in Advent, not one that is lonely, but one that is in community, where we remind each other how God is there and help each other point that out. Maybe you this season or have been or are even now in a season of waiting, waiting for a child to be born, waiting for, uh, to see how a new relationship will shake out, waiting for, um, to finish that degree like I am. And I think in all those seasons, um, or even waiting like for an injustice to be made right. This Advent season, God is reminding each and every one of us that God actually shows up in those waitings. It's not a bad thing we need to get out of as soon as possible. But if we sit in that waiting, God will show up. And like um, God showing up through the angel Gabriel to Mary, uh, we are able to respond to God in the midst of our waiting, saying, yes, let it be. And then we are able to participate with God like Mary did in, in birthing Christ to the world. Yet, like Mary, we ourselves can never fully grasp what Christ coming into the world will be. And we are invited into that place of trust, yet mystery, um, this Advent season. Friends, I invite you uh, to move away from any places in your life where we try to have that certainty of what exactly God will look like. This Advent season, we are invited not to try and figure God out, but rather embrace God as his holy mystery who continues to show up in our world. This is what we are invited to trust. This is what we are invited to have faith in. This is what we are invited to participate in. May we live with the expectancy of God showing up to do something great. Amen.